know what it was about me that made me connect with them, whether the fact I was from the hood, Native American, whatever it was, I was able to connect with them in a way that the other therapists couldn't. And the last session I had with them, well, one of the last sessions, they said, Doc, if you had not spent the time with me today, tonight I was gonna kill myself. So if I ever wonder if I'm in the right place at the right time, for them to tell me if it wasn't for my connection, that night they were gonna kill themselves. So I think I'm in the right place at, at the right time and I can say the word intersectionality. <laughs> I'm Maya Chupkov, and I'm a woman who stutters. Welcome to Proud Stutter, a show about stuttering and embracing verbal diversity in an effort to change how we talk about it, one conversation at a time. Welcome to Proud Stutter. I'm your host, Maya Chupkov, a proud woman who stutters. Thank you for joining us for our first ever live interview from Newport Beach, California at the annual National Stuttering Association Conference. Of course, you can follow the show on Twitter at Proud Stutter and Instagram at Proud Stutter and become a supporter of the show through ko-fi.com slash proudstutter it's the equivalent of Patreon, but it just takes less of a percentage, which is why I chose it instead of Patreon. All your help on Ko-Fi is incredibly appreciated as we are 100% listener funded. Supporters of Proud Stutter on Ko-Fi get Proud Stutter merch, a featured interview in our newsletter, and much more. Thank you to our Proud Stutter supporters, Ingo Helbig, Guido Sanchez, and Martha Horrocks, and all the other ones I mentioned in previous episodes. If you want to hear your name on the pod, all you have to do is sign up to become a Ko-Fi supporter. Today, we are speaking live with film and TV producer Christian Ting, a person who stutters, accompanied by special guests Alicia, Sam, and Eugene. They were attendees who were in the room and also shared their stories on the mic. The theme of this episode is intersectionality. We talk about how our identities intersect with being a person who stutters. We talk about examples of stuttering representation in TV and film, ableism in healthcare, and much more. Feeling the energy in the room in Newport Beach was truly special, and I hope you enjoy this live recording of Proud Stutter. Welcome everyone to Proud Stutter. I am so excited to have my first ever live audience and we're doing something a little different with this episode. We're gonna have a chance at the end of this interview to, to invite one or two people to also join me and be an interviewed and be part of a Proud Stutter. So without further ado, let's get started. Christian, so our theme for this episode is intersectionality. What does intersectionality mean? mean to you and how do you how do, does it sh sh show up in your life intersectionality means 
opening yourself up to all the multitudes that comprise who you are. In the lens of my own life, it's being Asian American. It's also being a second generation Chinese person. It also means being a person with stutters. It also means being someone who is covert and has to deal with the stigma that comes around that. It also means being someone who is faced with marginalizations that are out of my control, especially in an industry like entertainment. It represents a passion and an unyielding sense of duty when it comes to doing things from an authentic POV. So I am very curious about, were you always so open about your stutter and your d- different identities as, as a child? It sounds almost like filmic, but I remember when I first found out my stutter, I was literally five years old in kindergarten in the playground, and I was like sliding down the slide doing the monkey bars, and I was trying to talk to my friend Charlie at the time, and I just experienced my first block. It just came out like a lightning bolt from Thor. It just hit me. And at that time, at my kindergarten, I knew of another student who had a severe stutter, and I was always curious about like, what was happening there, whether it be mechanistically or in his own personal life. And to be able to have like a mirror to my experience, I grew up with a truly severe stutter, something that was disabilitating, that required me to, to really look internally as to like, was something that was my fault? Was it because I was a second born? Was it because of the water in the East Bay? I wasn't exactly sure where the, the source of this experience was. Growing up, I don't regret that experience whatsoever. I thought that it was incredibly layered and it represented to me one of many obstacles I would face on my journey. And I think the idea of intersectionality became very apparent to me. Growing up in Danville, California, it's a primarily deeply conservative, highly white town, infamously said no to Prop 8 in 2008. The kind of place where an individual like myself was made to feel othered, but it only came to a head as I got an older because... When I went to UC Berkeley uh, in 2009, it was my first time that I actually got to experience like the fullness of a community, in this case, Asian American people. And I remember taking a class that was like my fateful class, like the inciting incident on a script uh, called Asian Americans in Film and Video, which basically introduced me to like the sheer racism that is present in the industry, whether it be like Lon Duk Dong from 16 Candles to Leslie Chow from The Hangover to white people playing Asian people and winning Oscars like they did in 1927. So that opened my eyes to like, that seems to be a, a issue that was very pressing and there wasn't a lot of traction around how do we actually mobilize around dealing with this and addressing this. And there are social horrors that exist like to this day, but like that moment put me on a course that took me through SF, working in tech at Facebook and Twitter and arriving at a point in being in LA now where I feel like I'm in charge and I'm responsible for my destiny. I'm responsible for being in a position where I can be active in my own agency. And I think that's something that a lot of people do chase. And I feel deeply fortunate to be able to be in a position, not only at the NSA, but as an independent producer, where if you want something to get made, if you want something to be seen, you have the authority to stand up and advocate for that from a genuine place. And that's where I've decided to like make my mark. And it's how I want to live my life. Talking about your experience in the entertainment industry, how do you see the entertainment industry, so TV, film, um, even different mediums, right? Like documentaries, like all of these different artistic ways we express ourselves. Like how do you see the entertainment industry playing a role in shifting the narratives that 
are harmful, right? Something that is truly representative. And of course, I'm interested in how you think to shift the stuttering na narrative, but also any other narratives that um, we, we see in our society. In this room, how many of us are like familiar with some depiction, however subtle, of a person or an entity that stutters in the media? Like, raise your hand. W call out some examples that, that you've seen. Like, it could be anything, but. Uh, one that I, uh, like, recently was in the new It, 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 it series. Um, they, w w one of the main characters is a person who stutters and uh, the plot of the uh, movie, if I won't s spoil it, but they have to overcome their f uh, fears. And it's, yeah, it's cool. He's, I think he's represented well, or we, or we are represented well. And I have one as well. So I actually recently interviewed um, a young woman for se season two. She just got casted in an animated TV se series and the main character is a, wo a woman who stutters. She is a rising actress. Like she is gonna be such a great voice for us in the entertainment world. So do you, do you have an example you wanna share? Uh, Porky Pig. <laughs> Although, I, I, I <laughs> and the, the jury's still out on if he represents a positive or negative portrayal. And let, let, let me qualify this, this, this position on it. Uh, the, the voice actor who does Porky Pig broke down recently the formula behind his speech pattern. It's actually like a formula of like, I mean, like enunciating the fourth vowel, every other sentence you like. It's like that level of like mathematics involved is way beyond any type of speech condition. It's like his whole bit was that, and that's why I have job security because I'm the only person in the world who can do that. So I'm just like, it is some. You could call it an appropriation of our community. I, I, but like obviously we've seen on that realm, but also things like Colin Firth in the King's Speech, which won the Academy Award in 2010. Leonardo DiCaprio in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, which is done with a level of subtlety and compassion that I think is like serviceable. Um, a brief story from my own experience, and this is something that one of my dear friends uh, put me onto a, a producer at a studio who is basically soliciting young men who have stutters to be optioned for a new dating show being developed by a studio that's definitely not Fox. But basically the idea behind this casting was men who were down and out and had suffered or had been at the whims of a condition without their control had the opportunity to find love. And I had so many red flags. <laughs> because on one, I can see people smiling. It's just like, why? And and more and more seriously, like this could be an opportunity to like truly humiliate someone, you know, to be on camera, to be subjected to. And the thing about reality TV show, it's not really reality; it's heavily scripted. And that when that verbal was bust for me, I was never the same. But when it comes to a community that I'm rather sensitive about, which is this stuttering community, I think that it's like really important to like do it with empathy and not for what is like a, a nice log line or to service some reality TV demographic. So I respectfully said, hell no, <laughs> I'm not doing this. But also you can hire me as a consulting producer to make sure that if this does happen, pay me, but also can we ensure that there is some fidelity and some honor to this process? Since that was a few years ago, so it never got made, thankfully. So I'm gonna go a little off script here, but John Gomez, <laughs> 
Um, sorry, John, to put you on the spot, but John Gomez recently consulted on a show on Netflix. Um, yeah, so um, Maya and the Three was made by Netflix, and they had a character in there called Rico. And Rico was uh, not only a Latino, but Afro-Latino. So that's really great intersectionality, and I already kind of loved the concept of it. But he also is a person who stutters. And Netflix has apportioned a certain amount of money to making sure that they're getting the story right with people who have all forms of differences. I like to call them differences. They call them disabilities. And uh, they called me up one day and they said, do you think you might be able to help? Do you think you might be able to offer us some consultation so that we put something out that is you know, sensitive, something that honors people who stutter? And um, yeah, I was lucky enough to, to get that call and they hired me. And the process was really fantastic. Um, I just, just want to throw in a quick story. Uh, the gentleman, the producer, Jorge Gutierrez, said that he dealt with autism and that he felt like it never really got a spotlight and that he wanted to spotlight another difference among humanity that never really, really got its chance, and that was stuttering. Because he said it's important for people to see themselves reflected back in the stories that we tell. The entire show was done with a whole lot of compassion and a, and a whole lot of love, quite frankly. And you could just see it in the writer's room and with the producers. So I was lucky enough to be able to do that. Um, let's talk about covert stuttering because we both have covert stutter stutters. Can you, um, Christian, talk about how covert um, stuttering intersects with your other identities. I, I see it in a similar way that I see code switching, you know, and I think it's something that any person who inhabits some margin and some multitude that has been an othering process, it knows this experience quite well of being able to either conceal or disintegrate something for the sake of survival or just fitting in. And for me, like, Covert stuttering represents a very complex uh, positioning because it all always opens up opportunities for a lot of pain with respect to your experience being minimized, but also an anxiety around not wanting to invalidate the experiences of others who, by by fact or by implicitness, don't have as much of a struggle as you. So I want to shift gears a little bit. Can you talk about the current projects you're working on? I just want to say that I've never felt more like myself than I have today. Being able to be in a position to uplift people who don't get a shot, because if we're kind of going back to this idea of like intersexual identity when it comes to stutters, we have to also recognize that there is a tendency within entertainment to use anyone who is differently abled, anyone who's neurodivergent as a trope that I want to really reduce is how like Hollywood and the powers that be always choosing like a character who is on the spectrum and is autistic as having some type of secret power or knows where the ghosts are. Like that type of like stereotype has to stop because like where does it come from? It comes from ignorance. It comes from a lack of knowing people in these communities and these identities and doing this way. For a while, for people who stutters, like in the most negative pejorative way, when we were depicted, it was seen as humiliating, as the butt of the joke, as truly dehumanizing. And when you layer that depiction with an intersexual lens, it's just like, how often do you see people of color who also stutter, who are not seen in a negative light? Like advancing the positivity of these big balanced portrayals is essential to kind of connecting people who are built out of ignorance. Like 
we have the benefit in this conference and these safe walls to be able to create intentional spaces to have these like honest conversations. But a lot of times outside of here, those don't exist. And especially for people who are making decisions when it comes to like representation, they don't know. They don't have a family member or a spouse or a grandpa who has these type of experiences. So for me in my life, like having a podcast highlighting like up and coming Asian Americans and people of color and people who just deserve to have a shot because of systems that are beyond our control, the vibrancy of our community, it all comes back to, and one thing I, I would offer to anyone who's in this position of like, I feel passionate about something, but how do I activate it around? It's like, we have a chance now to like be at liberty to do what you truly want to do. And I truly wanted to be here today. I truly want to talk to Maya. And I just feel like as much as there's been negativity and discontent and a lot of just like noise on the internet, how important is it to have this type of space to just have these real conversations? So like, you should really be thanking yourself for taking the time to come out here and have this experience with us. How, what can we do as a stuttering community to make the, the world a safer space for all of us to be freely our, ourselves? For me, it's, it's about personal and social accountability. But I think part of the journey is the social element. It is getting beyond the bubble or the insularity of being at home or being in the position where you lack that community to have like a genuine response. And for me, it's like, obviously we're, hit, we're in a warm room right now. We're in pe with people who stutter, allies, loved ones, SLPs, like the Avengers of this type of, uh, of condition and space. And it's a really beautiful thing. This is one of the most present parts for a lot of our identities. If you think about it, communication is like, communication is community, right? If we're not able to articulate ourselves or be able to present ourselves in a certain light, then we can't, we can't afford to let other people do it for us. And that's exactly what media does sometimes. It's like, okay, because there haven't been notable people who stutter in positions of power or positions of selection to govern how we're depicted, it's no surprise why the depiction historically has not been that positive. But as John Gomez had mentioned, there are strides being taken to not only be intersectional with a capital I, but to be like compassionate. And that kind of in, in a nutshell is what places that are sacred like this do. Um, I know we've used the word a lot, but I think beyond just intersectionality, I think the one thing that I think is so important is to recognize that the things that we feel may suppress us or marginalize and just minimize in us general, they're actually a product of our liberation. To care about the stuttering community, the neurodivergent community, communities of color, the LGBTQ plus community, it's all deeply intertwined because it's all at its root derived from enhancing your compassion. Compassion from people who may not share your skin color, your origin, your religion, your speech experience. The more badges that we attach to ourselves that are grafted from experience and some are just in innate, it leads to a more compassionate world. I truly believe that, like with all of my being. I think we live in a very like thoughtless time right now. And I think it's refreshing to have the ability to just like ferment and be very thorough with like your thoughtfulness and coming from a sincere place. And so I think even though I sound very serious, it comes from a very softness in me, you know, I'm a cancer moon. I think that's something that I really, um, I truly care about. And I think it's important to, to amplify those feelings. So I am going to invite whoever feels called to come up here and talk about intersectionality and how it shows up in your life. Hi, my name is uh, uh, 
Alicia Vasquez. I am from Maryland, here a long way. I am a a bilingual uh, first generation Latin woman. I also work in healthcare, and I am a person who stutters. Um, so, in a lot of that, um, there's a lot of points that meet together, and some that don't clash necessarily. To some that clash, they don't mesh together very well, and. Um, in my culture as well, in the Latin community, um, very much of it is don't ask, don't tell. And if you can't speak right, then don't speak at all. So learning to kind of navigate those waters on your own without any help um, or guidance was very difficult growing up. As well as now I mentioned I work in healthcare. I'm a behavioral um, technician. I work with, I do, I, I do ABA therapy. Um, and even in a place such as healthcare, having to navigate those waters and um, say, hey, I can do this and I can do that. And being um, kind of coated with that, salt, with that false sense of comfort. And you kind of think to yourself, okay, this is healthcare. You have people who you feel like might be more compassionate because they're in this field and you think they might be understanding and then coming to that harsh reality of, okay, maybe this is not that. Having coded yourself in a false reality, having to navigate around that. Um, yeah. We got another one. Come on up. Hi. Um, my name is Sam. Um, first off, I do want to say I do listen to your podcast and I love it. So it's very cool being here. <laughs> yes. Um, all of my intersexuality intersectionalities I'm a person who stutters I'm a woman I'm biracial I'm Salvadorian I'm queer I feel like one of the biggest ones for me that relates to my stutter is being a woman because for me my stuttering can look like I'm hesitating or I'm unsure or I'm not confident in what I'm saying and I feel like as a woman in certain spaces and rooms you have to be very confident and there's not a lot of room for any sort of like mistakes and if you start to like slip up on your words or be hesitant people automatically assume she doesn't know what she's talking about or she's nervous um, I also relate it to what you were saying um, in the Latin community, which is like, don't ask, don't tell. And especially like, if you can't speak right, then don't speak at all. And I feel like um, that's been a part of my life. And I actually, to this day, like not everyone in my family knows that I have a stutter because I am covert in most situations. And I just know that like some of my family members won't understand that. I also relate it to what you said. Um, I work in mental health right now as a support staff. And um, like I was just saying about being like a woman, I have to be like very confident and same with working in mental health. And I'm so young too, so I have to show up like extra confident. And my stutter definitely makes that challenging, but I have found that in those spaces, I. I have more opportunity to be more accepted by people. I think a lot of people who work in healthcare and mental health do have more empathy and more compassion. So there's pros and cons to it because I can look like not super confident and 
um, not like resourceful enough. But on the other hand, I do have spaces today where I can be completely open and I can disclose my stutter and be accepted for it. So, yeah. Wow, that was thank you so much for sharing. Oh, my gosh. My name is Eugene Johnson. I always start off by saying my name, Eugene Johnson, because when I grew up, I could not say my name, and I used to not like my name because I couldn't say it. And I've had several careers, and I guess the intersectionality part of it, I just said that word, right? Intersectionality part of it is I've traversed several careers in different areas of the country. I am from Baltimore, Maryland, grew up in the hood. If any of y'all have seen the series The Wire, that's my upbringing, and I survived. So I guess I could have several intersectionalities, (laughs) being an African-American, Irish, Native American, which is, which is Cherokee Indian, and I'm proud of all of that. I'm also part of the medical profession as a non-practicing physician. I did that when I was an officer, a medical officer in the Air Force at Andrews Air Force Base. And I'm a medical researcher, a drug and alcohol rehab specialist, but I'm most proud of being a Lyft driver, believe it or not. All the other stuff looks good on paper, looks good on a resume, but I think I reach more people by being a Lyft driver because with every passenger, not only do I get a chance to practice my speech therapy techniques, but with all of the careers that I've had, I've had a chance to reach people at different levels. Those who think they're smart, those who are smart. And I've been there. I used to, I used to be arrogant because of my different levels of professionalism until my friends brought me down, down to level. And as a Lyft driver, when people get in the car, they have no idea that I've gotten all this education, which doesn't matter at the time. What I, what I like the most is being able, to, being able to communicate with people. And what I find interesting is that when I start off the conversation, I'll say, where are you from originally? I couldn't say that word at one time. But being a Lyft driver, it gives me exposure with every passenger to have a conversation. So not only am I getting therapy, therapy for myself, because I got a chance to practice with all of the careers that I've had, and I believe this, I think God puts people in my car for a reason at different times. Two of the most interesting passengers was one guy that was choking on a piece of candy, and I had just been recertified in CPR and basic life support two weeks prior. It's in my car. I asked him, were you okay? He couldn't speak, so I knew what the sign was. I pulled over on the interstate, turned on my blinkers, asked him again, were you okay? I leaned him forward and gave my modified Heimlich 15 pounds in the back, and the candy flew out. And I'm thinking, what if somebody else was in that car who didn't know what to do? And it's one thing to know what to do and be able to do it at that time. As a Lyft driver, I have intersected with people of various socioeconomic levels, people who thought they knew a lot, and I bring them (laughs) down to a level. 
different religion. And, and I, I just love being a Lyft driver because I have a chance to meet the average person while I'm working on my therapy at the same time. Another person got in my car. This was right at the peak of the pandemic. And this is where my medical profession came in as a therapist. He was, he was suicidal at the time. A lot of people have bad days and they talk about suicide. This guy had a plan. He was ready to carry it out. Why was he in my car? I'm part of the grief ministry at my church and I'm, and I'm a physician and I'm, I do mental health. Was he in my car for a reason? Was it an accident? I turned off the app and I said, okay, God. <laughs> so I said things, it didn't come from me. It came from some higher power. But I spent about an hour with him, talked. Okay, wait a minute. This is my allergies kicking in, okay? <laughs> <laughs> talked him into continuing his appointment with, this, with his psychiatrist. I had a therapy session with him. I asked him about, asked him why was he gonna kill himself and he had lost his job, lost his house, his wife was leaving with the kids. He, had, he said he had no reason to live. I said, well, can you call your daughter? He, she sa he said, he, she's in Miami. I said, can you call her? He said, no, because her husband just committed suicide. So I'm saying, God, are you, are you playing with me? So I said, okay, well, you can't call him, I mean her. So I said, let's, let's just talk. And so we made, I made a verbal contract with him. I said, if you get to the point where you can't make it through the day, I need you to tell me two people that you're gonna call. And he mentioned a friend of his and his therapist. And I made him say, if I can't make it, I will call so-and-so-and-so. And I made him say it three times, then I shook his hand and I, I took him to his appointment. I didn't know what else to do, but I know I, I wanted to go inside the appointment with him, but I know I couldn't violate his privacy. But I did all I could do. But I'm saying all that to say that me being a Lyft driver allows me to traverse different levels of intersectionality, different people, and I don't know who, I, I never know who gets in my car. But believe it or not, I enjoy being a Lyft driver more than everything else I've done. And I've done research for NASA, NIH, Meharry, Vanderbilt, you name it. But I think I'm saving, I'm, I'm touching more people at the basic level by being a Lyft driver. Every day when I get in the car, I say, God, okay, who are you going to put in my car that's going to make my day, that's going to give me a reason? Uh, last thing I want to say, and okay, if, if I get emotional, it's my allergies, okay? If I ever doubt if I'm in the right place at the right time as being a Lyft driver with all of the things I've done and being a, a drug and alcohol rehab specialist, I do that part-time and I'm on call for that. And folks say, well, with all the stuff I've done previously, why would I want to lower myself down to drug and alcohol. And I say, well, I'm from the hood. Military, medical, everybody has issues. So whenever I think I'm in the wrong place, I think of two incidences, a black man and a white man in the, between 40 and, 50, 40 and 50, 
and I was able to connect with them at two of the rehab facilities that I am on call for. I don't know what it was about me that made me connect with them, whether the fact I was from the hood, Native American, whatever it was, I was able to connect with them in a way that the other therapists couldn't. And the last session I had with them, well, one of the last sessions, they said, Doc, if you had not spent the time with me today, tonight I was gonna kill myself. So if I ever wonder if I'm in the right place at the right time, for them to tell me if it wasn't for my connection, that night they were gonna kill themselves. So I think I'm in the right place at, at the right time and I can say the word intersectionality. <laughs> Wow. And I had just met you this morning at the water fountain and it was very, I felt that we were meant to have that conversation. So thank you for, for, for that. And that's it for this episode of Proud Stutter. This episode of Proud Stutter was produced and edited by me, Maya Chupkov. Our music was composed by Augusto Denise, and our artwork by Mara Ezekiel and Noah Chupkov. If you have an idea or want to be part of a future episode, visit us at www.proudstutter.com. And if you like the show, you can leave us a review wherever you are listening to this podcast. Want to leave us a voicemail? Check out our show notes for the, the number to call in. More importantly, Tell your friends to listen too. Until we meet again, thanks for listening. Be proud and be you. Be proud and be you.